So we were on our way to Universal Studios. I had 54 students and youth leaders from Oklahoma that we came to Orlando, Florida for a youth conference. And because we drove such a long way, I thought, let's spend an extra day there and let's go to a theme park. And I found great tickets for Universal Studios. And so we loaded up in the coach bus and we're on our way to Universal Studios. And I have a student that crawls up the aisle and sits next to me and he says, hey, can we go to Disney World? Disney World's so much better than Universal Studios. And we're just gonna have so much more fun there. And I'm like, dude, I already bought the tickets. This is what we're doing. And he was not happy with me, but he understood, I guess, maybe, I don't know. But he, he probably didn't actually understand because he went back to his friends, sat down and he started grumbling. He started telling everybody that was around him how great uh, Disney World was and how lame Universal Studios was gonna be. To the point where this 20 minute drive from our hotel to Universal, we unload and I got about half my students are going, can we go to uh, Disney World? And I'm like, no, we're, we're at Universal Studios. That's been the plan from the beginning. That's what we got tickets for. That's what we're doing. And so I sent them off. Everybody goes off. Everybody goes their own little way in small groups, you know, safety wise. But here there's rides and there's attractions and there's food. And this place is, it's a theme park. So it's built for fun. At the end of the night, we gather up everybody and I'm talking to them. Like, hey, how was your day? What did you do? What was your favorite ride? And that sort of thing. And I realized that about a third of my students did not have a good time. They did not have a good time. And I'm dumbfounded. I've got students from Oklahoma. We drove 26 hours or whatever to get here. It's not like we can go all the time. And yet, because it was not Disney World, they didn't have a good time. And, and I was just shocked. Because you can spend some time in a magical place that's built for dreams to come true. And those, those kids didn't experience joy. They didn't have a good time. And, and that's the thing about life. Sometimes we can be surrounded by everything that's positive and, and we can miss out on joy. We can miss out on, on happiness. Uh, but the opposite is true. We can be in a dark place. We can be uh, in, in the midst of a struggle or a difficult time. And yet we can still experience joy in those difficult moments. There is a way for us to experience joy. Now, if I were to start a, the, this time off with a story uh, of a dark time where we experience joy, that wouldn't have been very fun. So that's why I didn't, but th that is true. And so today we're, we're going to look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. We've been looking at the fruit of the Spirit. And Paul writes to the Galatians, he says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And today, as we've been working through that, today we're going to look at joy. Joy is an emotion. Joy is, a, is something that we desire. It's something that we long for. It's something that, it's, it's like this ball of happiness that, that comes from a deep place within. And we enjoy experiencing that. We long for it. Those are the moments that we, that we grasp for. So much so that we will manufacture our lives. We will build our lives around how can we experience joy. What are the, you know, we'll work hard to figure out what are the things that we can buy to help us experience joy? What are the benchmarks that we think we need to achieve in order to experience joy? 
So we'll work hard to get a promotion because we think that the title will give us that, that moment of joy or, the, or that longing or that experience of joy. Um, and, but what happens when we, we try to build the world in such a way that, sur- that we're surrounded by the circumstances in such a way that will bring us joy? What happens if we never get to those circumstances? What happens if it's just out of reach? Or what happens if we reach them and they become unfulfilling? You know, what happens if you think that joy is going to come when you graduate high school or college or, you know, you've made this achievement and that joy lasts for five minutes and then it's gone. Or, Or maybe you get married and you go through the honeymoon stage of you love being married and every day is just wonderful. But then reality hits and you go, where, where did the joy go? It's not necessarily everything that I had envisioned. Or what happens when if maybe you get pregnant and it's this joyous moment, but something happens and you lose the baby and the joy is gone. The circumstances that maybe we've worked so hard to engineer, what happens when they don't live up? to what we thought they would. Well, there's a way for us to have a joy that is unshakable, a joy that is not dependent on our surroundings and our circumstances. And Paul gives us not only in words, but also in his actions, uh, uh, he shows us what it's like to have joy at all times. And so we're gonna look at the book of Philippians um, because the book of Philippians, Paul writes to the, the church in Philippi and it is filled with so much joy and so much uh, excitement for the church in Philippi. But what you got to understand is before he wrote the letter to the church in Philippi, he had gone through a whole lot of things. So Paul, uh, Paul we, we read in the book of Acts that Paul went around in several different missionary journeys and he was starting churches and he was telling people about Jesus, which is all great. And he was a huge player in the early church. God used him in incredible ways for the early church. But Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, some of the hardships that Paul faced. He, he shares that five times he was uh, um, beaten, beaten and whipped with 39 lashes by the Jews. He says that three times he was beaten with rods. Once he was stoned. Three times he was shipwrecked. And one time he spent one day and one night adrift at sea. Paul went through several hardships and Paul was arrested a couple of times too. And when Paul finally, near the end of his life, he is in prison in Rome. And that is when he, we pick up this letter from the, to the Philippians. He's writing this letter, having gone through all of that. And now he's in prison and he writes this amazing letter to the Philippians. And so we're going to kind of bounce around in Philippians a little bit to kind of get the idea that uh, the experience that that Paul is having and and the joy that he is communicating, where that joy comes from. But I want to invite you this week. It's four chapters. I want to invite you to read the book of Philippians this week. It's four chapters. It won't take you very long. But as you read it, 
understand and see and look for the joy that Paul has for the church in Philippians. So last week, uh, Pastor Bob kind of unpacked exactly how we're going to look at the fruits of the Spirit. Three different ways. We are to know the Word. We are to be filled with the Spirit. And then we will bear fruit. So we're going we're gonna to look at what did Paul mean? What did Paul do to know the Word? See, Paul knew Jesus. He knew that Jesus was alive and active and, and, and at work in his life. And we, we find in Philippians chapter 1, Paul writes this. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me was really, has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from good. And then you skip down to verse 18. And Paul says, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. Paul acknowledges his situation. He, he acknowledges, hey, I'm in prison. But God is moving in incredible ways. He's saying, everybody that knows that I'm here, all the guards and things like that, they are understanding that I am here because of Jesus. And so people are coming to know Jesus. People are seeing who Jesus is all because he is in this situation. He is, he's being able to look around and seeing God at work. And then he says that not only are the guards noticing it, but all the brothers, all the, the, the Christians, all the people that are out in the world, because they hear that I'm in jail, they are more bold to go and to tell people about who Jesus is. And he's like, some of them even have the wrong motives, but who cares? Because Christ is being preached and he is overjoyed because he knows that God is at work that, that God is moving, that, that, God is, that God is working. And not only does, does he know that God is working around him, but he also knows that Jesus is where his salvation lies. He knows that he is a sinner. He knows that Jesus was the way, he was the answer. He was the one that died on the cross for his sins. And we see that in, in chapter 2. Verse uh, 10 and 11, Paul writes, So that in the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Paul knew who Jesus was and that he was the way. And he knew that he was a sinner and that he needed Jesus. Now, knowledge is great. We need to know the word, but it can't stop there. Knowledge is not enough. We, there needs to be more. There needs to be a relationship. So I really like Bear Grylls. Um, if you don't know who Bear Grylls is, he's a survivalist, and he's had many different TV shows, and he's written lots of books, and um, 
So I've read his autobiography and he was the youngest Briton to climb Mount Everest at the time. And I read his account of climbing Mount Everest and I've watched a lot of his shows and I really like him and I know an awful lot about his story, okay? But all I know is knowledge. Bear Grylls and I, unfortunately, and I'm sad to say this, but right now we are not friends. I know an awful lot about him, but knowledge does not make us friends. Knowledge is really good because honestly, knowledge is a piece of uh, building blocks of relationships. Because think about it, all of our friends, all the people that we know, our family and things like that, we know information about them. But it, when we spend time with them and that information, when we learn you know, what they do and who their family is and um, their childhood stories and stories from work or whatever, when, when we learn information about people, those are building blocks for our relationship, but it's done in relationship. We learn knowledge, but it, it's through the relationship that we have with people that makes it count. My, relation, my information that I know about Bear Grylls does not lend itself to a relationship because I'm not interacting with him. And so it stays there. So the first thing that we need to know is that we need to know the word. We need to know who God is. But knowledge is not enough. So we can know that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. We can know that we're sinners. We can know that God is all these amazing things. But we need to be in relationship. So we know the word. We're, we need to be filled with the spirit. We need to enter into a relationship. Where a give and take. Where, where we're... we're where God's speaking to us and we're speaking to him and, and we're just building a relationship. And we see this in Philippians chapter, chapter three, that, that Paul gets it. Um, Paul is so excited about who God is and the relationship that he has with him that he considers everything else a waste pretty much than his relationship with Jesus. He said, if there's nothing else that I have, I just need to hold on to Jesus. And in chapter three, verse eight, he says, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He was, he was so engaged with Jesus that he's like, I don't need anything else but Jesus. And he was in such a relationship with him that he knew where God wanted him. And if you read, if you go back to Acts and read his of his adventures and where he goes and where he travels God is speaking to him and God is leading him different places and God is also shutting doors and not letting him go certain places and that, that that's an example of God speaking to him and in fact in this letter Paul writes to the the church in Philippi saying I want to go to heaven I want to go and be with Jesus but he said no he he wants me here I have something for you. And so he's saying, I know where I want to be, but I know that God has told me, no, I'm good. He's got a place and a plan for me right now. That's the relationship that he's hearing from God. In, verse, in chapter four, verses 10 through 13, he says, I rejoice in the Lord. This is Paul saying, I rejoice in the Lord. And he's talking to the church in Philippi. And he says, Greatly that now at length 
you have received, you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. So he's like saying, hey guys, I'm overjoyed that that we have a relationship again, that that we're talking again, and that you want to help me, but right now there's no need. He said, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Here he kind of outlines that I don't need anything. This last verse, um, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, is, is a verse that we hear an awful lot. And sometimes I think we can take it out of context because Paul is saying here, it doesn't matter my situation. It doesn't matter if I have a whole lot. It doesn't matter if I have a whole little. I've got a relationship with God and that is all that I need. He will get me through the difficult times and he will get me through the great times. But outside of Jesus, I don't need anything else really. He's got me and he lives in that. And Paul has experienced that. You know, remember going back to 2 Corinthians where he shares everything that he has done, everything that he's experienced, his relationship with God. God was there every step of the way. God was there sustaining him. God was there keeping him safe. And the Bible is constantly revealing who Jesus is who he is, and, and, and what place God wants to be in our lives. As you read, if you read scripture, God's basically longing for us to know who he is. And he's showing us how he's pursuing us and how he wants a relationship with us because he wants us to be filled with the spirit. So we know the word, and then we're filled with the spirit then we will bear the fruit. See, joy is the outcome of a relationship with Jesus. It's the outcome. And, and so we don't work for joy. We just work on focusing on our relationship with Jesus. And that joy just will spill out. And that is how we can have joy in the midst of any situation. Because we're not bound by the circumstances around us, we are bound by the relationship. So the weird thing for me is uh, I get joy from making my bed in the morning. Okay, call me weird, um, but I do. And if I'm honest with you, I don't even like making the bed or that the bed needs to be made or how the bed should be made, but I still find joy in it because Uh, my wife loves the bed being made. And so because I'm in a relationship with my wife, actually, I I want to love her. I make the bed because I know that every time she walks into the room and she sees the bed being made, it, it, it brings her the sense of peace. Or every time she walks by the bedroom and she sees that the bed is made, It brings her peace. And because I know that that's the feeling that she gets, that brings me joy. And let me tell you, 
for whatever reason, we have eight pillows on our bed. This whole idea of making the bed is, is a way bigger process and has caused some tension in our marriage, uh, if, if I'm really honest, because we have eight pillows. They're not functional. 90% of them are not functional. We need two pillows, and I, don't, I can live in some chaos. I don't need to make the bed for me. I make it for her because she has this weird, um, <laughs> I just said weird, my wife, weird, but uh, she has this idea that she believes is true, that you sleep better when you get into a bed that is made at the end of the day. And so I go through all this work that I don't even care about, but I have a relationship and I know that what it does for her and so when I make the bed and go through the whole process of eight pillows and the extra blanket and things like that, it brings me joy because of the relationship that I have with my wife. See, joy is not based on our circumstances. It can be based on our relationship. This is how a, a family can gather around a hospital bed for one of their loved ones who's on hospice and sing songs of joy. This is how uh, a man who, who maybe has lost his job can have joy in the midst of losing his job because it's not dependent. His joy is not dependent on that. This is how a family who's lost a child can grieve and yet have joy. This is how uh, a mom who's uh, at home go going through the routine of, of every day can still have joy in the mundane. This is how the, the widow can have joy as she re-picks up her life and figures out what does life look like without her spouse. Because our joy can be rooted in a relationship with Jesus instead of our, our outside circumstances. See, that kind of joy doesn't really make sense to the world. And that kind of joy can be a beacon of hope to the world. It, it can be the thing that separates us from the world, that makes us different. And sometimes we need to be reminded of knowing who God is and all the intricacies of who God is and what that relationship looks like to remind us that we have hope that we can have hope regardless of the situations. So maybe today you need to be reminded that you can have joy in the midst of the anxiety that you might be feeling as how does it look like to, to re-engage the world? Or you can have joy whether your bank account is where you think it should be or whether you've gained all the things that you think will bring you joy. You can have joy in the midst of trying to get to those things. You can have joy anywhere because it's based not on a situation or a circumstance, but it is based on a relationship. This is also a reminder for us that sometimes our circumstances also won't change or sometimes they will change, but they might get worse or they might not be exactly what we expected. And so if we're finding, trying to find joy from our circumstances, at some point 
we're going to be left without the ability to have joy. And so what if you woke up tomorrow morning and instead of thinking about all the things that you were going to do that day, what if you, um, what if you asked God to show himself to you? Or what if instead of uh, waking up and praying and, and telling God everything that you need from him, what if you just spent some time listening to who he, who he is and what he wants you to hear? And what if this week, instead of trying to invite God into what you're doing, you sought to look around and see what he's doing and then join him where he is at and allow joy to come through that, your relationship with God in those ways. You know, it, there's a lot going on in our world today and th there's anger and there's frustration and how do we approach that? And sometimes I think maybe it can feel overwhelming um, but I think we have a part to play in spreading joy because of who Jesus is, not only in knowledge, but in relationship, that we have an opportunity to spread the joy. And it might be as simple as putting eight pillows on a bed. It might be just a simple smile to somebody, that, a way to share your joy. It might be stopping and having a conversation with a neighbor. It might be maybe, just throwing it out there, making a TikTok video that will bring joy to somebody's life as they watch your video. I don't know, but it doesn't have to be complicated. But let's start showing the joy that, of what it looks like to serve and to be in relationship with God. What would it look like if if everybody saw us and knew that the joy that we have is because of who Jesus is in our lives, well, how would the church look different? What would our neighbors think if they, if they knew that our joy was rooted not in circumstances, but in our relationship with Jesus? How would that build the church? How would that change our world? How would that point people to Jesus? Let's let our joy be evident to everybody so that way they can know who Jesus is.